Please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 11, as we have over recent weeks been spending our time on Sunday mornings working our way through this spectacular chapter of Scripture, sometimes known as the great portrait gallery of faith. And over the weeks together, we have been looking at the life of Abel and Enoch and Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, and the last few weeks we've been in Moses. And so we're finishing the tail end of Moses today and reading about the fall of Jericho and then Rahab. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of His holy word. Now, this morning, I want to recognize an individual, and we almost never do this on a Sunday morning, so please forgive me if I indulge for a second. I am looking for Jerry Porter. Jerry, are you here with your family? Jerry is 91 years old, and they drove from Georgia this morning to be at this service because it's Father's Day. Jerry has been in ministry for many, many years and served in Glasgow, Scotland for several of those years. Two of his children were born there, and I got this wonderful letter this week saying we really would like to bring him, and Jerry, welcome. We are thrilled you made the effort, and thank you to your family for organizing this. Can we give them a First Presbyterian welcome this morning? Thank you. Those watching on the live link broadcast, if you wish to drive from another state, we will welcome you as well on a Sunday morning. Great to have you with us. As I mentioned moments ago, over the last few weeks, we have been spending our Sunday mornings in Hebrews chapter 11. And eight weeks ago, we began to immerse ourselves in this extraordinary passage. And this is how I describe that series, or this series rather. God often calls the most ill-prepared, hesitant, and unlikely. He insists on using those who have been wounded by life's challenges, crippled by circumstances, and who are fearful about their future. Amid such obstacles, genuine faith matures and develops as character and grit is formed. The remarkable potential that God births within each of us is explored in Hebrews 11. Here we find ordinary people who lived by faith and discovered they were capable of extraordinary things. And that has certainly been our experience as we have looked at a number of these great Old Testament characters and asked, how do they apply to us today? What lessons, what principles can we take from their lives and seek to apply them to ourselves in a 21st century setting? 
And some of the other principles we have touched on, and they will equally apply today, are these. Number one, it was not so much that they had an extraordinary faith, but rather faith in an extraordinary God. I cannot tell you how many folks have stopped me over these weeks and said, Richard, what was that about faith in an extraordinary God again? And if you are watching from home this morning and have a notebook in front of you and your Bible open, that's one of those principles that is worth getting down. It's not so much our faith, but the faith we have in an extraordinary God. Second principle, God is not asking you to figure it all out. He is asking you to trust that He already has. Now, think of that. That has reverberated out of these studies Sunday after Sunday, and we're going to see it again this morning. And the other thing that characterizes and holds all of these individuals together is the phrase, by faith. We see it running like a refrain throughout the entire chapter. And in fact, we noticed it our first Sunday when we read, by faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, and it goes on and on, and we're about to see it again this morning. And I've tried to say several times that faith is the one unifying characteristic that defines each of the individuals featured in Hebrews 11. It is the driving momentum of their life, the mighty impetus that defines who they are. And so this morning, we come to read verse 29, by faith, the people pass through the Red Sea. Now, come with me in your imagination, please, if you would, back thousands of years to Moses and the people of Israel leaving ancient Egypt and heading for the promised land. Think what they have been through. For 400 years, they were held in captivity and slavery. And then Moses appears and says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And after a whole series of disappointments and then hopes and dreams and disappointments, eventually, eventually, they're given permission to leave. And as they head towards the promised land, think of the optimism, think of the excitement, think of how grateful they are, that sense of anticipation and expectation, all that God had in store for them. And they are so thankful, so grateful for His enabling them to now begin to determine their own future and move towards that promised land. Now, the people of Israel, over a million of them, had choices to make. They could go along the ancient trade route between Egypt and Cana, but the problem was this. Every now and again, they would come across a fortress manned by the Egyptian army, and they thought, maybe not. So they came a little bit south, not quite into the barren desert region, but somewhere in the middle. And as they headed towards Canaan, they came across what? 
the Red Sea. Now put yourself again in their position, filled with optimism, filled with a sense of anticipation, couldn't wait to see what God was doing. They had worked out the route. They had thought and prayed and thought, we've got this. And they come across the Red Sea. And then to make matters worse, they discover this, that Pharaoh changed his mind. He'd lost over a million slaves, and his labor force was reduced to almost nothing. And he decided to go after them. And so the Egyptian cavalry and infantry and heavy horse were chasing them through the desert towards the Red Sea. When you find yourself hemmed in by infantry and fortification to the north, obstacles of impossible nature coming towards you, you can't move south because it's a barren desert and you're faced with a Red Sea. What do you do? In Exodus chapter 14, the people of Israel turned to Moses and said, what on earth have you done to us? And they blamed him and blamed him instantly. Why? They were overwhelmed with fear. They were fighting, or excuse me, frightened for their lives. And when panic sets in to a million people, that's a lot of explaining has to be done. And even if you did explain it well, they probably wouldn't listen. And here's my question. Why on earth would God allow this to happen? After all they had been through, all of the prayers, all of the hopes, all of the dreams coming to nothing, just to drown in the Red Sea, what is going on here? And why would God allow it to happen? Because God knew this, that for 400 years, the people of Israel had ingrained in their mind attitudes, behavior patterns of Egypt. And the patterns and behavior, and, uh, excuse me, patterns of behavior and attitude from Egypt would not serve them well in the promised land. And when you are driven into a cul-de-sac, a dead end, and you are hemmed in, and there is no point looking back, and there's no point looking forward, neither can you look north or south, where is the only place you can look? Look up! And God was using the principle of discipline through delay as he shaped and formed a people ready for the promised land. It's a little like someone coming to faith in Christ for the first time. And if you have experienced genuine, deep, transformative faith, you know this, that the person you once were has changed. Suddenly, Christ becomes important to you. Prayer is a priority. You can't wait for Sunday morning to come so you can worship. You long to grow in your faith. You long to follow Him. Be His disciple. Live out your faith day by day. And likewise, 
with the people of God leaving ancient Egypt about to go into the promised land. Now, you may be sitting there this morning saying, Richard, thank you. I think I've got roughly what you're saying. But Richard, how does that help me? Richard, how does that help me on this Father's Day when I lost my father six, eight months ago and I'm hurting, quite frankly? Or you may be saying, Richard, that's fine to talk of ancient Egypt when as a young dad, we went through as a couple miscarriage only three weeks ago, and I'm grieving. How does looking back at the Red Sea help me in any way, shape, or form? Richard, my dad's wrestling with dementia. He doesn't even recognize me anymore. How does this passage speak into my life in a 21st century setting? Remember the principle we touched on at the beginning? Our job is not to have it all worked out, but to trust that He already has. And in those moments of deep disappointment, in those moments that are painful, in those moments that are debilitating and force you to tears and disappointment, please remember this. It is the tears and the disappointment and the disabling and the hurt that are the mile markers on the road to the promised land. It's in those moments that God becomes more real. It's in those moments when you find yourself on your knees. It's in those moments when you are heartbroken and uncertain where to turn. You can, by faith, trust Him and hold on. Because the question for the people of Israel standing beside the Red Sea was this, who are you going to be? The discipline of delay is the temper that brings steel to the soul and, in orders you to, and enables you to stand and to stand by faith, trusting that although your faith may be small, it is faith in an extraordinary God. And of course, we know the rest of the passage, that God miraculously, absolutely, spectacularly parted the Red Sea, and the people of Israel moved through. And by faith, fear was replaced. By faith, they continued to move forward. By faith, they trusted that God was in the midst of it all, even though, even though they were faced with insurmountable odds. And then the writer to Hebrews moves on and writes verse 29, excuse me, 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but let me describe it simply because the principles we've just touched on apply here as well. After 40 years, 40 years, they come to the land of Canaan. 
Why 40 years? Because the people of Israel were just like us. At times, hard-hearted, at times making poor choices, at times making bad decisions, at times knowing days of great blessing and encouragement and answered prayer. But they were people, a million of them. You can't move them overnight. Earlier this week, I came back from a trip to Scotland, and I took 38 of the congregation with me, and I teased them all week by saying I wish I had brought two sheepdogs as well to round them up and head them in the right direction and get them in and out the gift store and in and out the restrooms and onto the bus and all of that. If only Moses had some sheepdogs, not 40 years, four years, but there we are. And they arrive in Jericho fortified, walled city. If you go to Jericho today, you can still see where the wall came down. And the people of God marched around the city for seven days, blowing trumpets, playing music. Can you imagine the choir with our musicians marching around Greenville for seven days? In Jericho, think of the scorn and the ridicule poured on them from the people inside the walls. Yeah, right, okay, by faith, we know, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the walls collapsed, and God was faithful once again. And Joshua had sent some spies ahead of the rest and said, go and find out the lay of the land and come back and report. And when they arrived in Jericho, before the walls came down, they met Rahab. And the passage is pretty clear. Let me remind you exactly what it says. By faith, the prostitute Rahab welcomed the spies. My question is, why would she do that? And why is her occupation mentioned? Most of the time in Scripture, when you read of Rahab, her occupation is right there. Why? Why is it mentioned? And I think it's there for this reason. It's a powerful reminder that regardless of a person's past, regardless of poor choices and bad decisions, regardless of the times when we give in to temptation and sin, regardless of the times when we seek to marginalize or minimize God, regardless of the times when we become so busy in a demanding, heavy schedule, week by week, when we ignore Him, regardless of all of that, God is saying clearly when you read the name Rahab, I am not finished with you yet. In fact, for Rahab, it was just beginning just beginning. She welcomes the spies into her home. You can read it in Joshua chapter 2 and again in Joshua chapter 6, and Rahab discovers that the city officials are looking for the two spies. And she tells them this, and their life is on the line. And she says to them this, I have heard about you, And I heard that 40 years ago, God brought you through the Red Sea, and you were coming in this direction. My parents told me this as I was growing up. And now you're on our doorstep, and you're being hunted. And I want to enter into an agreement with you. And I want you to know that I will protect you, 
And when the city officials come, I'm going to tell them, I don't know anything about you. And that's exactly what happens. The passage is clear. In fact, Rehab says to the city officials, when the dusk came, they slipped out through the main gate, and I'm sure they're well gone by now. They were upstairs. Why did Rahab believe, or excuse me, behave that way? What was going on in her mind? Yes, she had heard, but also this. She goes on to say, I want to make an agreement with you. In fact, the language used is chesed. It is the same word God uses, as we saw way back at the beginning of Hebrews 11, when God speaks to Abraham for the first time. And He says, Abraham, I want to enter into a covenant promise with you. A covenant promise is a strong, unbreakable, personal commitment and promise. And He uses the word chesed, and we see it right here, right here. I will protect you. I will tell the city officials, you're not here. But I want you to promise when you come back, you will protect me, my family, and this house. And they say, of course. And the question at that moment as you read it in Joshua 2 is this. Who was Rahab becoming right there you see the spiritual birth of this woman as it evolves from the page. Suddenly, faith becomes a reality. Suddenly, she's trusting that she doesn't have it all worked out, but he already has. And she takes action. And in fact, she lets them out the back window to escape. And faith blossomed right in front of our very eyes. Because she acted in what? She acted in righteousness. She trusted that God was in the middle of all of this, even though she could not see it all working out. That's how she responded. By faith, Rahab. Now remember this. Rahab is also mentioned in James chapter 2. Remember back in the spring, we spent several Sundays in James chapter 2? And in James 2, she's mentioned in the passage that says this, faith without living it out, I'm not sure is really faith. In other words, day by day by day, James was calling us, Rahab is reminding us of it, and the Scripture speaks of it almost every page, that when you come to a living faith, those spiritual and moral standards matter. Honesty, integrity, character, transparency, these things matter. Prayer is a priority for us. Living out Christian values matters on a moral basis. That's what's going on here. Rahab did not go back to her old life. She lived out her faith. She completed the task she'd been called to. She goes to the upper room, lets the spies out, and off they go. And she finds herself in Hebrews chapter 11. But it's not the only place where you read of Rahab. And in the most unlikely 
of places. You come across her name. Remember what we said at the beginning? God often calls the most ill-prepared, hesitant, and unlikely. He insists on using those who have been wounded by life's challenges. Is that not Rahab? Crippled by circumstances and fearful about their future. The people of Israel crossing the Red Sea, absolutely just the same. Amid such obstacles, genuine faith matures and develops as character and grit is formed. In other words, who are you willing to be? The remarkable potential that God births within each of us is explored in Hebrews 11. And here we find ordinary people who lived by faith and discovered they were capable of extraordinary things. And in Matthew's gospel, we read these words. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. And that passage is well known as the passage we skip over every December in order to get to the Christmas story. And we're tempted to think, Matthew, in writing your gospel, why on earth would you begin with a whole list of names? Why don't you just begin, this is a story, excuse me, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. What a great way to start the gospel. Why are you putting in there, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Perez, and it goes on and on and on and on. Why is it in there? Well, it's in there for this reason, that God never operates in a vacuum, but He has purposefully, intentionally been rolling out His redemptive purposes, and at the heart of those redemptive purposes we read, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And in Joshua chapter 6, we read that Rahab leaves ancient Jericho and moves up to a small town in the hill country, an obscure village that no one had heard about. And that village was called Bethlehem. Boaz, the father of Obed, his mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David, the ancestor of Christ. Rahab is an ancestor of Christ. Rahab, whose occupation is everywhere, but spectacularly, miraculously, she is given a new birth and is willing to stand as someone who was faithful to the call of God. This week, if you are tempted, if you are tempted to think for a moment God has given up on you and you have been driven into a dead end cul-de-sac, remember this. He was not finished with the people of Israel. He was not finished with Rahab. And neither 
Is he finished with you? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this remarkable passage of Scripture. Thank you for all that it means to us this morning. And may we go into the rest of this Father's Day delighting that you are our heavenly Father and resting in you for all that lies before us this week. Father, please powerfully remind us that we do not need to have it all worked out, but to trust that you already have. Bless us, forgive us, equip us, enable us to follow you by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.